0: The content discussed in the Left Behind series, and therefore this podcast, includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds good. That's different. What do you mean? Yeah, music's different. Okay. Hey, Gav. Hey, Shane. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think we're gonna do something a little different this week. Oh
1: man, I'm I'm excited about which which Left Behind book we on. Uh, we're not gonna do a
0: Left Behind book this week. Oh
1: my God, we don't have to read Desecration yet. Nah, we oh. don't have to read Desecration. Oh, thank God.
0: Yet. <laughs> oh. All right, so we're gonna take an episode off of the standard left behind series left behind movies left behind video games we are not talking about any of that this week instead this is going to be kind of a pilot of a little side series that we've been talking about doing for a while yeah
1: about about as long as we've been doing uh uh talking about this podcast this has been on the back burner yeah i think
0: maybe like a couple of weeks into prepping for our first episode we were like So there's this other thing we could do. Yes. And for any of you that recognize some of our intro music, you're going to appreciate the title. It is called Neon Genesis Evangelicals. So the whole point of this type of episode is rather than reading part of a left behind book, talking you through it, taking you through the plot, this is going to be a series that is a little bit more researched and focused on a specific figure from evangelical pop culture. We can do prophets, we can do pastors, we can do political figures, but I think where it's a fun place to start is with entertainers and media people, specifically musicians and that's actually what we're going to talk about today so I have spent a good amount of time leading up to today prepping this episode. I actually wrote us a script. So we actually, I'm reading a script. I did a lot of deep dive into this person's career and uh, we're going to tell you about him. I am excited because for the most part, I'm going
1: in blind other than a few music videos you had me watch. Yeah, I did give you a little
0: bit of homework going into this. So uh, we're going to see how this goes. So it'll be kind of a back and forth with me and Gavin learning about this person as you guys learn along with us um, and kind of their impact On not just evangelical culture, but the world at large, specifically within the United States of America. Mm -hmm. So, I want to start off with a question, Gavin. Okay. What do you think when you hear the words contemporary Christian music?
1: All right. So I think of the the local um, radio station that plays um, a lot of it. You know, kind of like your praise and worship stuff. You know, the pop songs you'd sing before youth group. um uh, every week or just what you'd hear on christian radio you're kind of like you know god is fighting for us mm-hmm. pushing back the dot that sort of stuff okay so you yeah. have any bands that come to mind oh god what are their names I'm blanking right now. Um, <laughs> That's uh, okay. Toby Mac, Toby, Go Toby Mac, Mac, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can, I can pull Toby Mac out of there. Toby Mac. So all skill of DC it.
0: talk. Yep. Skillet. Um, I went, and, to, I
1: went to Christian concerts. Why, why, why did that buffering yep. take so long? Casting Crowns. Yeah. Casting Audio Crowns. Adrenaline.
0: Jeremy Camp. Mercy Me. All of these different contemporary Christian artists. And you mentioned radio stations. So like K Love uh, out of California. J103 around here. Yep. Um, down in Atlanta, we had 104.7 The Fish. So it's this whole niche genre So I got a little bit of background here Kind of for the uninitiated, the fortunately uninitiated Born out of the Jesus movement during the 1960s Which like many topics and buzzwords you're going to hear today More than deserves its own episode We got to talk about the Jesus movement Okay CCM is a big tent genre and a multi-million dollar industry So it crosses traditional gospel music and faith-focused lyrics With other popular music genres By its very nature, CCM is kind of difficult to define Mm -hmm. because like a lot of evangelical alt culture, it's guided by the principle gleaned from the Gospel of John chapter 17 to be in the world but not of it. Ah, gotcha, okay. Now, that's not actually a verse from the Bible, but it's sort of...
1: A theme that people... It's an abbreviated
0: version of a couple of verses put together. Gotcha, The idea that you are supposed to be living in the world, but not part of the popular culture. Yeah, okay. And we talked about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Popular artists kind of come and go with the sounds that are resonating at any given time in secular music, Mm -hmm. which is just what they call mainstream.
1: Yeah, they kind of want to like emulate what's going on in the secular world so that like hey, you don't have to listen to that cuz we got some of them to more god focused cuz exactly. i remember like on a christian like music video station that would get on uh the local TV stations they had like Christian death metal that would play oh, yeah. a certain
0: hour mm-hmm.
1: where they're just like they're, they're being very emo about how much they love Jesus. Yeah.
0: So typically there is a niche available for any given subgenre. So you mentioned death metal. Um, I think there's a band called Demon Hunter Whoa. or something like that. That's very like death metal sounding Christian music. Mm-hmm. Like I said, available for any kind of subgenre, but usually it's about two to three years behind the mainstream curve. Mm-hmm. Like it takes them a little bit of time to catch up. Yeah. But generally, as the most popular acts kind of cycle out of the forefront, they find themselves comfortably easing into a softer sort of praise and worship genre. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your your typical, like, you know, the stuff you'd play before a youth group and stuff like that. Right. So where at first they were kind of in the pop mainstream of CCM, usually their more edgy tracks get supplanted by songs that your mom would learn the lyrics to by watching the overhead screen on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I would say that today's topic of this inaugural episode of NGE fits very much into that boilerplate description, but I'd kind of be doing a disservice to not only the man, but his singular style and the impact that he had on modern evangelical Christians of all ages, for better or worse.
1: Yeah, because like watching a few of those videos, I'm like, moms
0: are gonna love this guy. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I wanna introduce you and our audience to the artist known as Carmen. Now, to quote from one of today's sources, an article from religionnews.com, quote, in terms of his musical style, the niche Carmen occupied on Christian radio was small. It consisted of himself, end quote. Now, I'm going to respectfully disagree with the author of that piece, if only to say that 23 studio albums across a 40-year-long career, multiple number one records, number one singles, a backlog of high production music videos that honestly defy description. Four Grammy nominations, an alleged world record for the largest single Christian music concert in history, and a starring role in his own theatrically released film indicates that while his niche was indeed singular, the amount of cultural real estate Carmen occupied was anything but small. I didn't realize this guy was that prolific. Oh yeah, like like gr- I didn't know
1: one. He was doing music for forty years. Mm-hmm. 23 albums and, like, a few Grammy nominations?
0: I have heard him compared to certain popular mainstream artists, including Elvis, and you're going to see why later. Um, I think Elvis had 24 studio albums. Oh my God. Carmen had 23. So it's a lot. Like, this guy was a worker. Like, he was in the studio a lot. He was touring a lot. Now, explaining his body of work can feel a little bit like a fever dream. Yeah. (laughs) Or to quote from one fan on Twitter, quote, tried to explain Carmen to someone who didn't grow up in the church and it felt like I was a member of QAnon for the entirety of the conversation. (laughs) And like watching a few of his videos, you can see how
1: kind of like that is like some of the stuff in his music videos is like proto QAnon like seeds.
0: Yeah, we're going to get to the culture war stuff. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. There is a level at which we are going to have to talk about that. Okay. Now, before we dive into this, it's really important to mention that Carmen was always going to be our first subject for Neil. genesis Evangelicals, this format that we're doing kind of begs for colorful and memorable characters, and Carmen ticks every last box that we need. Oh yeah. Now, his passing in February of this year kind of left us wondering how best to tackle an episode like this, since most of our listeners are likely expecting this to feel entirely like a takedown or an expose, especially if they already know his work. Carmen is without a doubt a figure that contributed to many of the delusional culture war outrage issues that we cite on this show especially when we're talking about left behind but in terms of direct scandal or controversy there's not exactly a wealth of material
1: oh okay so for the most part he kept his hands clean other than like you know uh pr- pr- proliferating some uh, unsavory things that led to mass delusion correct okay. there
0: there's some stuff here and there but honestly i did not find anything that was scandalous enough to even bother bringing up okay So I think it's really just best for us to talk about him and the complex imprint that he left on evangelical culture and just sort of let that speak for itself. Okay. So let's do that. Carmelo Dominic Litradello was born January 19th, 1956, the youngest of three children in an Italian-American family in Trenton, New Jersey. He credits his mother Nancy with inspiring his love of music and performance from a very early age. To quote a Christianity Today article published after his death, quote, Carmen dropped out of high school at 17 and achieved some early success playing top 40 in Atlantic City. When he turned 20, he decided to try to make it as a lounge act in Las Vegas. In Carmen's heightened version of the story, repeated to reporters numerous times over the years, he was doing so well performing in New Jersey casinos that a talent agent approached him about representing his interests and helping his career. All right, and just for clarification, he wasn't doing gospel music at this point. No, this would okay. have been top 40 music in casinos okay. in Atlantic City. Yeah. Gotcha. But the agent was linked to the Dick crime family, which was known for extensive extortion and racketeering in New Jersey. The young Carmen then decided to leave town in his green Chevy Vega. End quote. <laughs> I don't know, dude. The Mafia is kind of uh, get, getting up on me. I got, I gotta skip town. Right. So yeah, he was, uh, he was afraid that in singing songs in Atlantic city, he was going to have to get mobbed up in order to continue his career. Oh my God. Now the veracity of this story, notwithstanding listeners will absolutely recognize the overtones of standard evangelist crime to Christ testimony present here.
1: You're very much, your Mike Wernke. I killed guys before I found Christ. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah.
0: It's toned down from a guy like Mike Wernke, but it's still there, you know? where the evangelist is cast as the righteous man in the city, surrounded by sin and vice, often sent directly by Satan himself to provide a stumbling block along their road to becoming a champion of God's kingdom. Now, remember that word champion. We're going to need it later. Yep. From further along in the article, quote, In Las Vegas, Carmen struggled to break into the music scene or make a name for himself. He took a break to go visit his sister, also named Nancy, in Orange County, California. Nancy and her husband Joe Magliotto, pastor of the Sunlight spelled S O N uh, Christian Center, yeah, you saw it, did you? Mm-hmm. Were worried about Carmen's salvation and tried to convince him to accept Jesus. Carmen resisted. Later, recalling that he believed what they were saying, but was just too proud. Ah, gotcha. So and, Hattie Durham, yeah, real, real Hattie Durham journey we got going on here. Carmen's eventual acceptance of the gospel of Christ may feel familiar to some of our listening audience as a chance encounter brought him to a Christian music festival at, of all places, Disneyland. Oh, yeah. Disneyland actually, um, as far as I know, used to have a lot more like concert events and festival events and things like that, especially back then. Mm -hmm. They had some stages and some amphitheaters and things, and I don't think they do it as much anymore. Yeah. Or if they do, it's way more controlled by like corporate you know yeah and it was there under the spires of sleeping beauty's castle at a performance by andre crouch himself a founding father of ccm and a prolific recording artist producer arranger and pastor with an oscar nomination to his name actually worked on the uh, lion king oh lion king and color purple i think color purple was what got him the oscar nom
1: what a fairy tale kind of uh kind of thing you're outside a castle with, like, what was that guy's name? Andre Crouch. You're outside a castle
0: with Andre Crouch, and he's like, come join me in this kingdom. <laughs> exactly. And boy, howdy, did he accept salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, to quote from the man himself, quote, I was confronted with the truth, and I received it. It wasn't that he was doing anything musically that hadn't been done, but when he was singing, you could feel the presence of God, and it was a whole new ballgame. End quote. Okay, so
1: like he, he really knew how to rile up a
0: crowd, so to speak. Oh yeah, he was he was learning early on, right? Because I saw a, th- a, a few going. times
1: in those music videos, like when he would talk to the crowd, the crowd would go nuts.
0: Yeah, and I get the feeling from my research that Carmen himself loves a crowd. Oh right? yeah, he yeah. is a he is a showman mm-hmm. if he's anything. So as we go through his kind of career and his style and everything that he brought along with him you were going to see that that love for a cheering crowd never leaves him. Okay. Now, of course, he's doing it all for the kingdom. But you can kind of look at him and be like, he is eating this shit up. Okay. So, Carmen's newfound faith did not signal an immediate transition into the Christian music scene. Rather, his time as a performer was put on hold for around half a decade and was replaced by a series of unremarkable jobs until doors opened for him, divinely or otherwise, around 1981, by way of legendary gospel music magnate Bill Gaither. You heard Bill Gaither? Uh, The name sounds familiar, but refresh me. Okay. Bill Gaither was, or is, I think he's still alive, a gospel music producer and performer. He would hold these huge music events called homecomings where he would bring all of these artists that were under his label to like perform on stage at the same time they would all sit on stage um they did one in my hometown i was actually in the video like i was in the audience for the taping friend of mine growing up was related to one of the artists who was kind of in that circle mm-hmm. so uh there, there's a lot of bill gaither stuff we got to talk about so suffice to say gaither and his recording empire will without a doubt earn their own episode as well so we might as well go ahead and kind of start the NGE backlog now Mm -hmm. so we got Andre Crouch Bill Gaither Mm -hmm. we'll go ahead and put that in the log now Carmen toured as an opener for the Bill Gaither trio that I mentioned before uh finding himself in and out of the studio and kind of navigating the minefield of rights and label management that regardless of its professed Christian principles can be just about as exploitative as its mainstream counterpart
1: yeah that was something my dad always harped on like really uh when i was a teenager like how corrupt and just still money centric that the uh that christian uh, contemporary
0: music industry oh is. dude it's like, huge business yeah like people are making tons of money like they may not be making like top record executive money in the mainstream mm-hmm. but they are cleaning up on the christian side because oh, yeah. when you think about it When you go to like a Lifeway Christian store or like a family Christian store or something like that, all of the albums that are available there. And I mean, we're kind of dating ourselves talking about this. But like when we used to do this (laughs) back when CDs were relevant, everything there was from a Christian label. That was all that people would buy, and there is such that thing that you talked about earlier where you have to step out of the mainstream culture and buy their stuff Mm -hmm. that they're the only game in town. Yeah. So, of course, they're going
1: to be able to make a lot of money there. Because they almost have a suit, like an almost monopoly on like that, because, you know, your your normal artists aren't going to make this content, so they can rush in and uh, fill that void.
0: Yep, and there's always been kind of the side eye at certain artists that have not made it in the mainstream, and then they slightly changed their sound and went a little more Jesus-y, and all of a sudden they're either gospel music or inspirational music or contemporary christian you know whatever you want to call it like that topic of that south park episode yeah yeah like that was like trey parker and matt stone were right on it about the south park episode
1: change all the words from baby to jesus you got a contemporary christian
0: album absolutely (laughs) so carmen's first single sundays on the way released in 1983 under priority records before it's almost Immediate closure. Now, it pairs nicely with its 1984 follow-up, Lazarus Come Forth, under Myrrh Records. Ah. Now, myrrh named for the third and most morbid gift of the Magi to the Christ child. Now, both of these serve to introduce us to early Carmen. And it's a sound that is as evocative of Moody Blue era Elvis as it is derivative.
1: Yeah, uh, Lazarus Come Forth. Like, I had even listened to that like a while ago before this episode. I posted it on the page like like a, a few months back. Did you really? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, I posted. Like, no one responded to it because like, Gavin, what are you doing posting this? But I'm like, guys, this is actually a bop right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. So you know what?
0: Let's take a minute and let's listen to a little bit of Lazarus come forth. Okay. But Jesus
1: had a plan not known to any man that would soon take away the pain. They was waiting for Jesus to come and say, Lazarus. Oh, Lazarus.
0: Hey, Lazarus.
1: Now that you've mentioned that he uh, he used to play in casinos, the sound of that, like I could imagine, like, you know, playing blackjack with that just playing softly in the background. Yeah, it
0: really does sound like Vegas era Elvis is what he's trying to go for. Like yeah. he's doing a little bit of the <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the 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 white suit Elvis era, you know. Now, in both of these tracks, Carmen kind of weaves and twangs his way through a highly embellished biblical account. In Sundays, the denizens of hell wring their hands, unable to enjoy the victory in the days immediately following Jesus's death on the cross mm-hmm. because of the impending resurrection. You know, you got the demons being like, well, we beat him, we killed him, but I can't sleep at night because we only get this little bit of time. It's weird. Huh. Um, and you're going to see more of that the further we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Lazarus, likewise, sounds as much like a cheeky Sunday school lesson as it does a pop track. But both these songs would be indicative of Carmen's one-of-a-kind gospel music stylings, placing him somewhere between a charismatic revival preacher and the kind of Vegas entertainer he aspired to be as a young man. So the fact that you're hearing this and going, yeah, this sounds like casino music, it's not far off, at least for his early career. The latter half of the 1980s saw Carmen release both his first number one single and number one album, with 1985's The Champion and 1989's Revival in the Land, respectively. Now, the former could be described as Carmen's Bohemian Rhapsody, but considering that most of his biggest hits top six minutes in length, an argument could be made that all of Carmen's songs are Carmen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. They are long songs. They switch between like talking and singing. Yeah. Cause I said revival preacher, but it is that, but there is a performer like musical theater Broadway quality to what he does. He's telling a story and I'm going to talk about that a little later.
1: Right, and like even some of his music videos, I'm like, this almost is kind of like Michael
0: Jackson-esque, too. He does owe a debt to Michael Jackson, absolutely. And there's a specific video I'm going to point out later Okay. that I think owes a lot to Thriller specifically. And there's another one that I'm going to... You know what? I'll point it out when we get there. Okay. The Champion, being the song that would later lend its title to Carmen's foray into feature film, paints a literal cosmic boxing match... Between Jesus and Lucifer, attended by the likes of biblical patriarchs like Enoch and Job, as well as Adolf Hitler, Pharaoh, I think the audience is meant to assume the Pharaoh from the book of Exodus, and Al Capone. One of these things is not like the other. I think Al Capone is only present because his name is an easy rhyme for the word throne two lines down.
1: Ah, (laughs) okay, I see it. Yep, and you know what? So he, he's got to put a gangster in there because he's kind of got like the the uh, Carmen is the guy that you would give the Tommy gun to go shoot the gangster,
0: right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, we're gonna talk about Carmen shooting the agents of Satan later. Okay. Oh, we're gonna get there. Revival in the Land is also the advent of Carmen's to put it charitably unique style of music videos. And we are going to need to post some of these videos on the page once oh, yeah. we launch this episode, because I don't think that the audience's understanding of Carmen is going to be complete without viewing these videos. At least a couple of them.
1: There was this uh, one of the memes that we shared um a, a little bit back was like, you know, talk, I had like a list of all the stuff that would. uh. Uh, cause like of evangelical church trauma and Carmen music videos was listed on was the page. Was it?
0: Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Can confirm. It does cause a certain amount of like trauma for a child and we'll talk about why that is. Carmen's fame amongst evangelicals coming about in the late 80s placed him in prime territory to take advantage of the medium. With its release on VHS in 1990, Revival in the Land is classified as a long form music video which actually is just a series of eight separate songs. Some of them are filmed live performances and some of them are fully produced music videos. Produced to varying degrees of success Mm -hmm. as the title track from that album cuts from Carmen on the stage as our Greek chorus to a live action dialogue between Satan and a nameless toady demon both looking on all counts like something the Power Rangers are about to teleport in and spin kick.
1: That did, that video <laughs> did
0: have like a very Power Rangers-esque feel. And watching it again, there's Power Rangers and then there's also Legend. Mm-hmm. Like that movie with Tim Curry and uh, Tom Cruise. Right. Where like Tim Curry is the weird sexy devil. <laughs>
1: I described it as nice screw tape letters fan fiction, bro. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, the theme of sexy devils showing up in Carmen's videos is not going away.
1: Yeah, because like in another one of the videos, we had like you know that dev- that devil had like it it was more than a six pack. I think. I I, mean, yeah, he had
0: at least an eight pack. Yeah. <laughs> so it was this type of music video that was actually my first exposure to Carmen through his 1998 offering Mission 316 the video. A James Bond-inspired concept album likening Christian missionary work and evangelism to international espionage. We're Carmen in the world is Carmen. Yeah, just god, that's good. <laughs> now Carmen as an entity may have completely passed me by if my parents hadn't seen that my friends and I were so enamored with Golden Eye on Nintendo 64 and given this to me as a gift. Ah. Now they may have raised an eyebrow when the video reached slam a track in which Carmen and a cadre of backup dancers armed with candy canes beat an uncomfortably sexy shirtless devil. That's devil with an eight pack. Yeah. All while dressed in what can only be described as goth clockwork orange outfits. Before playing hide and seek, and then beating him up again, while Batman '66 onomatopoeia graphics fill the screen, they they had some moves in that one. I'm not gonna lie, like
1: it's that, not
0: terrible. It's not it's terrible. It's definitely entertaining. And in fact, you know what? Let's put on some slam, so okay. you guys can at least hear it. Yep, it's an eight pack. That devil has an eight pack, guys.
1: We were picking up some Backstreet Boys vibes in there, like the set, like an
0: art student touched that set. Oh yeah, it's not awful. Like you can see the production value is there and the money is there. We're gonna talk about the money later, Mm -hmm. but you can tell that there is value in the production and like the track isn't bad. Like it really is fine. It just sounds like someone who started their career in the '70s trying to ape Michael Jackson's "Bad." Mm-hmm, yeah, it really does kind of sound like "Bad." A slam, bit. let's slam. Yeah, it's very similar. But you mentioned Backstreet Boys. Like, I think that there were some touches in there, especially with the choreography that were Backstreet Boys esque, and it was 1998. Yeah. Um, you had the reflective panels in the back, which kind of felt somewhere between Backstreet Boys and like Jamiroquai, Mm-hmm. You know. Carmen would spend the majority of the 90s cultivating a relationship with Paul and Jan Crouch. Who are these people? No relation to Andre. Okay. Founders of the Trinity Broadcasting Network. Ah, okay. You would know them if you saw them, I think. So you familiar with the Trinity Broadcasting Network? Rings a bell. Okay, so TBN is going to need its own episode you can't start pulling these evangelical strings without them all starting to connect we knew this from the first episode when we talked about tim and jerry yeah Suffice to say, Trinity Broadcasting Network, if you grew up as a church kid or even a kid who was, you know, hanging out after school and kind of scanning through the channels, especially in the South, it was where you would see your Christian animated Bible stories. You would see shows like the 700 Club. You would see shows with prophecy. You would see just regular old sermons just being replayed. It was a evangelical, specifically Pentecostal focused. Now, they went through a bunch of different denominations, but specifically Pentecostal focused. Gotcha. It's the Crouch's financial backing that would eventually make it possible for Carmen's feature film, The Champion, to make it to theaters. Now, if you're curious as to exactly what kind of film we eventually got, let me allow a Christian reviewer from 2001 to unintentionally damn the film with some fame praise. Okay. You're going to love this. Quote, Carmen the Champion is a well-produced Christian film that I think will surprise a lot of viewers. Although not completely original or new to the screen, the film has its moments and is definitely a worthy Christian production. As compared to Left Behind, the movie's music was better, featuring songs by Skillet, Luna Halo, Living Sacrifice, Delirious, KJ52, and PAX 217. That is actually how those are pronounced. I remember those bands. Oh, man. (laughs) As well as Carmen himself. Also, the acting was better to a degree. (laughs) And the production value was just as good as the theatrical release of Left Behind. Wow. (laughs) So we're going to have to watch this movie, huh, Shane? Oh, maybe eventually. It's... it, It... It truly is damning with faint praise, and the guy doesn't even know it. Like, Mm -hmm. he's like, it's just as good as left behind. (sighs) And he says, or maybe even a little better. Carmen did a surprisingly good job acting in the film as well. Playing a former boxing champ turned pastor, he seemed at home in the role. He was built amazingly well physically for the role, too. Mm. Gotcha.
1: End quote. So Carmen, uh, like uh, watching his music videos, he's a decent showman. Has that care of, like film? Is he does he do an all right job? It has been so long
0: since I have seen that movie. I do not remember. Okay, so we may have to put it in the log and watch it. Yeah, like it's that one's in the in the tank now. That, that's an easy one to do. Yeah. So this this is Carmen, described by the Gospel Music Hall of Fame as a combination of drama, rock, comedy, funk, satire, acting singing, and preaching all woven together. As his career would progress, go ahead and add hip-hop and boy band pop to that list. This is the persona that he carried with him through those 23 studio albums, shifting genres and styles with the frequency of a David Bowie, though, minus the look. Carmen rarely, if ever, strayed from his trademark clean-shaven jaw and pompadour hairstyle.
1: I compared him a little bit to David Bowie when I was like, kind of look at him because he's like, If you're like a Pentecostal or evangelical kid in general, you're going to look up to this guy and you're going to want to be him. He's like your icon of what to like,
0: try to emulate. He was more than a singer. Yeah. More than a songwriter. He was an entertainer and a performer first. Yes. He wasn't just like, oh, that guy can sing. Oh, that guy can, you know, shoot a music video. Oh, that guy can perform. He can preach, whatever. He was this performance artist, yeah. more than anything else. and which is kind of why so much of his stuff is difficult to describe, I think. because mm-hmm.
1: it's like so fundamental like his style that you just kind of have to see it to understand. You what You hear in it for. and
0: know it's a Carmen song. Yeah, yeah. Bowie is, I think the most accurate mainstream point of comparison that can be found for Carmen. His songs are longer than mainstream radio play would allow for with most of his hits feeling more like sermons musical theater, or performance art than they do easy listening. Carmen was above all a storyteller. I said that earlier, but it's the kinds of stories that he tells where this episode is going to start taking a darker turn. Yep. If you're noticing a unifying theme here with Carmen's messaging, you're likely correct. Again, from the Religion News piece, quote, Carmen's consistent presence as a top seller in CCM charts demonstrated that his militaristic and triumphant depiction of American Christians as a sleeping giant called the church to rise with power and was welcome in evangelical circles. Indeed, evangelicals formed by heaven and hell dualisms of the likes of Billy Sunday, needs an episode, Billy Graham. Needs an episode. Love the spiritual warfare elements of Carmen's music, arguably as much as their Pentecostal counterparts. Through the art of Pentecostal storytelling, Carmen cast the church, evangelical and Pentecostal teens especially, as warriors battling against darkness and messengers proclaiming light, truth, and divine retribution. Capitalizing on the fear and fervor of the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s, Carmen's cinematic stylings were a call to arms and evangelicals responded with enthusiasm." End quote.
1: Yeah, cuz definitely even from that first vi- or music video showed me I could see the definite like satanic panic thing where it's just like, oh, man, they're all playing Dungeons and Dragons. And um, uh, or and like we're corrupting the youth by influencing all of the insert everything that Tim and Jerry would say about New Babylon. Anytime. So walking into New Babylon. Yes.
0: All of the vices and the culture war issues. And the things that made Christians uncomfortable, even if they didn't know why, are inserted as agents of Satan into Carmen's music alongside other actually negative things like violence, abuse, alcoholism, drug addiction. They're all lumped into one pot as coming from Satan Mm -hmm. and they are to be combated directly. Yeah. And we're going to keep talking about that. Returning to the champion, we have a Jesus who contrary to the prince of peace puts on the gloves and goes round after round with Satan for the souls of all mankind. Now I got a clip of the champion pulled up that we're going to listen to. Okay. You will never
1: be this friend the demon's wheeze. Right. There ain't no way. Same here. I to Jesus said, go ahead.
0: We didn't even mention the fact that the champion is just Rocky. Yeah. Like, it's just Rocky music. It is, but like it is sermon, kind of just Rocky music. Like a sermon in rhyme over Rocky music, and then he does some actual singing at the end. A punk, make my day. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm not about to drag Carmen for a creative interpretation of the resurrection narrative. That's not what's being examined here. But a Jesus who literally quotes Dirty Harry strikes a very specific chord with Carmen's audience. And that chord has more than a few notes of dog whistle in it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Something to consider when you're analyzing his message is that much of Carmen's audience consisted of children and younger adults. Carmen did make forays into kids-focused entertainment. He had a few videos that were specifically for kids. They were a little more wacky and fun and lighthearted. I do think some of them still sprinkled in some of the scary devil. Sh- yeah, if I remember correctly. but his larger body of work was enjoyed by churchgoers of all ages, and it served as an exciting and a slick look at spiritual warfare doctrine that was easily digestible with a strong call to action. Are you familiar with the uh, spiritual warfare doctrine? Yes, do you mind explaining.
1: Yeah, yeah, a spiritual warfare doctrine is that how anything that is of the world needs to be combated um either by prayer or in, um, uh, Very extreme cases, violence against the sources of the sin and vice.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's true that at least when we were growing up, the violence part was either completely absent mm-hmm. in favor of abstinence. Yeah. You abstain from those things that would have an evil spirit. It's that kind of animism that we've talked about in Left Behind of that everything is possessing of a spirit and there are spirits around you all the time. And so there's a spirit of alcoholism present in a liquor store. There's a spirit of depression in the music that you're listening to if you're listening to emo music. And it's not a philosophical idea, it is a literal truth that there are demons attached to these things and they must be combated by strapping on the full armor of God through prayer and reading your Bible. And doing good things in some cases, telling the truth, being righteous, you know, listing the pieces of the armor of God here. Right. It's funny that we've never really gotten into that. I think if we do a Bible Man episode... Like yeah, that Willie will Adams be definitely episode, there. ...that might be a good time for us to go into that part of the Bible. So with each of his memorable hits... Carmen's through line of Christians confronting Satan would kind of iterate such as in 1992's Satan Bite the Dust in which Carmen dons a silver star a Stetson and a six shooter which he levels at Satan while intoning I'm authorized and deputized to blow you clean away. Let's watch the clip. Okay.
1: Cause I represent a whole new breed of Christian of today And I'm authorized And crud one bullet is called the word of my and the other one's called the blood. Satan. Bite the, dust. Bite the dust yikes um <laughs> yep like w- when you first watch some of these Carmen videos depending on which one you watch first you don't get this kind these kind of vibes at first it could just be another You know, this is never very like, you know, run of the mill pop showman, inspirational music guy. Yes. Yeah. But then he's pulling out the gun for the God and shooting and yeah, he's shooting Satan in there. But like your, your impressionable young kids watching that they're not going to always think, Hey, or they're going to take something from slightly different than instead of, Hey, we need to shoot Satan. Why don't we just shoot the people that don't believe in our God?
0: And it's important to remember that in that video, the bullets he is loading into his gun, according to the lyrics of the song, are metaphorical. Mm -hmm. It's like the blood of Christ and the power of my testimony. But the familiar chords of both the Magnificent Seven theme and the Bonanza theme in the background aren't enough to distract from the reality that while this is high camp, This is a novelty song about claiming victory over Satan. There is just enough of a way of undertones to evoke the kind of direct and violent action that some modern evangelicals have taken in the name of, quote, combating satanic forces, just like you were talking about. Now, Carmen's not calling on his audience to strap on their irons and spit lead at members of other faiths as he sings against the, quote, spirit of false religion, dressed in a turban, by the way. But his other songs make it abundantly clear where Carmen draws his culture war battle lines and where he expects his audience to follow him. Revival in the Land is its own cringeworthy screed with Satan asking about the status of his abortion clinics. Yeah, that one was weird. How are my abortion clinics doing?
1: Oh, they're doing fine, sir.
0: Yeah, and he starts shuddering at the advancement of the charismatic movement which is namely the Pentecostal, tongue-speaking, laying-on-hands brand of evangelicalism practiced by those in the Assemblies of God, such as Jan and Paul Crouch. And yours truly, Mm. a long time ago. But, you know, it's another song on that same album that I think is Carmen's most infamous. Let's go ahead and take a listen to just a snippet of A Witch's Invitation. Oh, no. His house was filled with every occultic symbol you could fathom.
1: Hanging pentagrams, horoscope signs, a Ouija board and dungeons and dragons games set on the table. A crystal ball with an incandescent shine. Then graciously he handed me some steaming herbal tea. Its presence caused my memory to jog. I thought of every horror flick I'd seen when I was a kid. And thought, man, you drink this stuff next day, you'll be a frog. This one reminds me a lot of, um, like, every single evangelical pastor that was like, I was once in a satanic cult
0: and now out of it, and this is my experience. It's That's what it the is. the same kind of Mike Wernke thing. Yeah. Now, Witch's Invitation is just as campy as the rest, but Carmen's playing all the hits here with occultism health food, astrology, paganism, and even D&D gets its own direct shout-out. Like, they had AD&D books in the video. Yeah, and,
1: like, next to tarot cards and stuff.
0: But health foods? I never heard of that as being, like, the... It's related to liberalism, New Age religion. Oh, that kind all of health those, food. Not, okay. even, not even really that. It's seen as weakness. Mm-hmm. Like, that a man would be interested in health food that is queer-coding and, like... Against traditional masculinity huh. So why would a man care about that That's what they're trying to like Take away from you Is you know You being allowed to eat Whatever cheeseburgers you want
1: Real men eat steak and potatoes every night Hell
0: yeah brother Yeah it's it's still that Like nothing's changed Like it's still the same bullshit You can draw a direct line From Carmen being nervous about herbal tea In this to like Jordan Peterson eating nothing but meat Yeah Like it's, it's the same shit Now, Isaac, the titular antagonist witch, is more than a little queer-coded with his silk robe and his Vincent Price mustache. This is the video I feel like owes a little bit of a debt to Thriller Mm -hmm. because your antagonist is absolutely supposed to look like Vincent Price. Yeah. And remember that he's overcome by Carmen's righteous machismo as he warns, quote, think twice before you rumble with a man of God. (laughs) Now, this track landed carmen in some hot water in new mexico oh this one actually did specifically with the new mexico anti-defamation league oh after the video was screened in an albuquerque theater it came to light that a character named isaac and given an obviously jewish last name horowitz is portrayed as a dark wizard who curses people with aids
1: Oh my God, yes, there was that section in that video that where he curses him with
0: AIDS. Borat would have a hard time hitting that level of anti-Semitism, dude. (laughs) Like, it's bad. Now, Carmen responded to this criticism on national television, stating, quote, if the usage of a particular name offended anyone because the name sounds Jewish or is a Jewish name, then I certainly do apologize. That was never the intent. After all, as a Christian and a minister, I spend my life telling people that knowing Jesus Christ, a Jewish man, is the best thing that's ever happened to me. F*** you. That is such a shitty f***ing line. They always go to that one. Yeah. Anyway, to continue the quote. The only reason I used Horowitz is because the story was actually true, and I changed a few letters to protect the person's identity. I can tell you as the man who wrote it and put the thing together that the subject matter has nothing to do with being Jewish or not. End quote. Now, I believe him. Yeah, I really do. I think that this was probably just dumb. I don't want to attribute malice where stupidity would fit. Yeah. And I think he probably was not thinking. And this was very dumb Uh, because the man whose name Carmen is alluding to here is Isaac Bonowitz. Bonowitz was a neo-pagan activist and the only person to have received a B.A. in magic from UC Berkeley. What? <laughs> yep. Got a B.A. in magic. Um, he's a pretty well-known guy in occult circles. Um, the story itself was borrowed by Carmen from Mario Murillo, an associate of Carmen's and a pro-Trump pastor from Pasadena, California, with his own history of spurious statements. Mm now bonowitz himself is not a heroic figure in this story who is being victimized by carmen's portrayal as he was posthumously accused of sexually assaulting a minor and the druid organization that he founded has since repudiated him Uh, so he's a real piece of yeah, yeah, yeah a witch's invitation and the rest of carmen's most remembered work sticks very closely to this singular theme christians are entrenched in a cultural war against the powers of darkness That are the Alpha and Omega from everything from depression to disease to addiction. They're hiding in storm drains like Pennywise to tempt the faithful with 20-sided dice, horoscopes and abortions, and only the power of God and the church and the good old red, white, and blue, you knew that was coming, Mm. can save us all from being violently dragged into the fiery depths of hell. As fun and campy as Carmen's work can be, when you look at the message long enough, it is a massive and frustrating disappointment it's the same song and dance as every other right-wing evangelical and the lyrics never change over and over again they don't get any new material yeah like they decide whatever things that they think are bad and then it's all linked to satan and you cannot like one of these things without being aligned with satan and you cannot be aligned with God without liking all of the things that they say you need to be aligned
1: with. Yeah, you got to perfectly fit their brand or you're not getting into heaven. Right. And
0: I think it's it's sad, but most importantly, it's frustrating and boring. Yeah. Because I wish that Carmen had some more kind of wacko sh- for me to get into but he doesn't rather than having an interesting take he's just regurgitating the same talking points that i heard growing up he's just doing it in a much more flashy and showy manner he, he is yeah he's adding an, a, a
1: spirit of spectacle to points that have been just repeated for decades and uh, using that to kind of get them back into the zeitgeist again exactly. because again he's this cultural icon that these young people want to be because uh, admittedly, this guy does have a good amount of cool factor in his performance. Dude, he's a
0: good-looking man. Yeah, he's like, good we haven't looking... talked about the fact that he is a handsome man. Oh, yeah. Carmen?
1: Mm. Carmen definitely is one of God's prettiest soldiers. <laughs> Lu- uh, Lucifer? Yeah. Lucifer is envious because Carmen is prettier than him.
0: Oh, yeah. And he's a... He, man. There's one cover of the album that I owned, I think it was Mission 316, where the angle that they shoot him and the lighting they use on him, he kind of looks like Henry Rollins. Really? Just a little bit. He has his hair cut short and his arms folded, and he has very Henry Rollins energy. So, you know, for what that's worth, as we start to close out here, Carmen was diagnosed with terminal multiple myeloma in 2013. He was given approximately three years to live. Now, at the time, his career was far from its peak in the late 90s. I can remember driving by a small church in the suburb of Atlanta where I was living at the time and seeing a small sign advertising him in concert and thinking, huh, I always wonder what happened to that guy. After raising a quarter of a million dollars on Kickstarter, his cancer went into remission and he began a new tour entitled No Plan B. Living life as a perpetual bachelor which is a rare thing for a Christian recording artist. That is
1: fair. Like, cause considering how good looking he is and how prolific he got, he never, did he ever marry?
0: He did. Okay. He married Dana Morrow in 2017 when he was 61 years old. Oh, wow. He would then go to file for divorce in 2018 and ah. settle the following year.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess Carmen's always destined to lead the single
0: life. Must be. And I looked up and down. I was not trying to dig up dirt on this man. But it is odd that he was such a perpetual bachelor. You might even say confirmed bachelor. Mm -hmm. I did not find anything about him potentially being gay. Yeah. Because you look at the videos and you look at his style and you wonder like, Yeah. And I've even had, I mean, Alex even asked me, she's like, okay, is this kind of a Liberace situation? Like he didn't marry. Is this something that like his publicists kept out of the limelight? Like, I I don't think so.
1: Yeah. I don't, like. I'm not convinced that he'd be gay either. I don't
0: know. Gaydar's not going off too hard with Carmen. Yeah. Not really. Not really. It's just weird that he did not get married until he was 61 and the marriage barely lasted a year. Yeah. Carmen's cancer returned in 2020, and on February 12, 2021, he passed away due to complications from surgery at age 65. Carmen was an entertainer, but he was an evangelical first. His message, as we've established, is directly in line with the same kind of toxic evangelicalism and Christian nationalism that we've bemoaned time and time again on this show. Mm -hmm. I'd like to close by pulling from a Medium article by an author named Marcus Thorne entitled, my parents took me to a Trump rally in the 90s. Trump wasn't there, but his current supporters were. Quote, I was 10 years old and so excited to go to a big concert. I would get new goodies and have some fun. Best of all, it would be in the name of Jesus. The concert was held by Carmen Litradello, a Christian artist that held free concerts and made his money through donations and sales of his products. During a break, my parents bought me a glowing heart. It was made out of the same stuff as glow sticks, so when you broke the contents inside, it made the heart glow. On the outside of the heart, it read, I love Jesus. Carmen had a lot of hit songs within the Christian community. Many were memorable, but the most controversial of them was probably, We Need God in America Again. Oh, Carmen begins this epic poem that has singing portions with a monologue a monologue about the Founding Fathers and how Christian they were. They knew the Bible, he says. They could quote it chapter and verse. And they told us, although not in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, that the Christian God was the key to our nation's future success. Quoting from the song. From beyond the grave, I hear the voices of our Founding Fathers plead, you need God in America again. These men believed you couldn't even call yourself an American if you subvert the Word of God. Carmen has tagged the beginning of the United States as the godliest time in U.S. history. We were born a Christian nation, after all, and intended to be one nation under God. End quote.
1: The, like the, the post-Soviet era, like, like Christo-nationalism is, like, just exuding in that, that section. Yep. Christo-nationalism
0: versus godless communism. Like, it's, it hasn't changed at all. It's not shocking to learn that Carmen declared on a now-deleted Facebook post that Trump's election in 2016 was, quote, a miracle victory, in all caps, and that his final song was the President Trump Blues, a smug series of jabs at anyone who dared to be upset about the election results. Oh. He had the gall to describe this as looking on the bright side of things and trying to bring the left and the right together. Meanwhile, he kind of smiles, his crest white strip smile at the camera, smugly, while talking about Hillary throwing dishes at Bill. What? It's stupid. I'm not even going to play it. It sucks. It's really stupid. Huh? That's Carmen. 40 years, multiple genres, same tired and boring culture war lyrics.
1: Oh, I... Every layer deeper, I kept going through Carmen. Just the worst that it got, but that that last
0: bit. And I'm a little heartbroken, man. Like, I grew up with this guy. Yeah. And the campiness and the fun and the theatricality, and I went back into this thinking, well, well I don't see any big scandals. Clearly, this won't be that bad. And then it f***ing was. But I think that this was an appropriate time to do this. Like, we picked the perfect candidate for the beginning of Neon Genesis Evangelicals. Mm-hmm. So, what are your final thoughts on Carmen, buddy? Well, like I said,
1: like, I've been saying this entire episode, he's... I gotta give it to him. He's a talented guy, but he used his talents for very unsavory purposes. In another universe, Carmen could have been just... You know, another great pop star that we remember fondly, but he took a, a weird route to get his
0: fame. It yeah, could have been like a Rod Stewart. Yeah. You know, could have been maybe not a Bowie, not that out there, but you know, somebody a little more down the middle. Like, yeah, you know, he could have been something that your parents listen to when they're at like a nice restaurant. Yeah. But instead he became a preacher. He got a lot of money from the assemblies of God and from TBN and sort of pushed his own career that way. And then things just kind of went the way that they did in terms of him embracing the culture war. Um, So yeah, massively disappointing. But that's going to be it for our very first episode of Neon Genesis Evangelicals. Wow. So thank you guys for coming along with us on this experimental episode of I Survived the Rapture. Uh, we're going to be back into the books next time. Oh, no. I promise we're going to get into desecration, don't, for better or worse. Don't make me read desecration, <laughs> same,
1: please. <laughs>
0: but anyway, thanks again for coming along, guys. I'm Shane Bazell. And I'm Gavin Russell. And uh, until next time, don't go accepting a witch's invitation. Yeah, don't drink the herbal tea, kids. <laughs> Bye. Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survived the Rapture is part of the Indiesaurus Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit Indiesaurus.com and check out the Indiesaurus Discord. We'll see you there, and thanks for listening.